And so they decided to, to sell the company and they appointed a banker to, to sell it. And, and we were one of the bidders and we ended up manage, managing to acquire the business. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, at the same time, so we, we, we saw a few assets in that, the community, obviously, the, the 100 million members that they had at that time, um, the registered members, uh, the, the uh, brand, of course. Right. So by acquiring a Silicon Valley brand, it puts us right out there. Hello and welcome to the Sea of Startups, where we dive into the stories behind the startups in Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin, Managing Partner of Indelible Ventures. Now, if you're a founder or funder looking to learn more about what drives the startups in Southeast Asia, this podcast is for you. We're about to sit down with founders to uncover the unique insights into the origins and motivations behind launching their startups. We'll uncover the stories behind the struggles, the ups, the downs guided from the view of an entrepreneur. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's show. All right. My guest today is Ganesh Banga, a serial entrepreneur with a resume longer than this podcast can nearly cover in detail. He built MOL Global in the early days of the ecosystem, which then listed on NASDAQ and later sold the Razor. He's currently focused on Commerce.Asia as well as ASX listed NetCentric. Thank you very much for being here, Ganesh. Thank you for having me here, Kevin. So I got to ask, because you're, you, you came from the early days of the ecosystem, uh, set up MOL. I'm really curious on those early days and how, what prompted you to become an entrepreneur and what prompted you towards the tech uh, ecosystem? Sure. So, um, so I started actually my, my tech. I was always a, a kind of tech geek, uh, even while in school. So I was in the computer club and selling computers and assembling computers and, and whatnot. And then uh, after my Form 5, uh, I actually worked in a cyber cafe. So I actually worked in a cyber cafe. I was a cyber cafe operator. At that time, not many people had PCs at home, mobile phones, but not on the internet. So people had to access the internet in a cyber cafe. That's how old I am now, right? <laughs> um, I'm sure some people listening may not know what a cyber cafe is. So it's, it's good to have the context there. Yeah, place just computers and internet access. Yeah. So could actually go to a cyber cafe to actually access internet, right? Yeah. And so I realized that there's no real monitoring system for cyber cafes. So that's when I started university. And when, when university started, what happened was uh what happened was I actually um I actually uh, uh um yeah, I actually uh got one of my fellow I was electrical engineering faculty. Um, and then I got one of the programmers from the computer science faculty to develop a cyber cafe management software, right? And then we actually gave away that software to, to we, we actually built the software, used it internally, and then sold it to about 30 cyber cafes. Mm-hmm. Year 2000, when people started giving stuff for free, Hotmail started giving free emails and whatnot, dot-com bubble, the very first dot-com bubble came out. Then the, the, the trend at that time was giving stuff for free, right? So people were giving everything for free and people were then starting to pay for traffic as well. Eyeballs, as they used to call it. Do you remember that time? Oh, yeah. Right? And, and so uh, I decided to give the cyber cafe management software for free in return on the first screen of all these cyber cafes. 
So more person have a cafe, the first screen would be ours. And then we have a bar, we call it a portal bar, where people can actually see banets, right? Those are the days of banets. Mm-hmm. And gave away the software for free and within a very short span of time, within like six months, we had 15,000 cyber cafes downloaded from 180 countries worldwide. Oh, wow. So it, it became global very fast, yeah? Yes, 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 yes. So, so, so people downloaded it and it became global worldwide and we had a lot of traffic, but there was no way to monetize, right? This mm. is like what the Google days, if you know what I mean. So yeah. the... There was, there was no real way to monetize. And so what, what, what we did was um, we figured out ways how we could monetize. Uh, then we, we came up with the idea of rather than give the software just for free, if you wanted the next version of the software, you'll have to prepay us a couple of hundred bucks and we'll put it in an account. Right? And this account then basically you could use to actually buy on online products or you can transfer it to your consumers. So you could sell those points, we call it. And why we called it points was because um, if we call it cash, it may need some some bank negara bafia. It would breach some bafia. Yeah. yeah. So we called it points. Uh, at that time, there was no payment system set yet, and so we called it points to kind of um, to kind of uh, not not breach bafia rules at that time, mm-hmm. right? And so people could pay cash. They get points. They can sell points to the consumers. They earn money from it, right? Mm. And so we rolled that out. And then after we rolled it out, um, we did we did get about 1,000 plus cyber cafes in Malaysia using it. But then there was no real way for us to kind of um to kind of uh to kind of use those points for, you know what I mean? For consumers to use those points. E-commerce wasn't prevalent at that time. Logistics infrastructure was worse off, much worse off than what it was today. So there was no real way for them to actually uh to actually uh, use those points, right? So then we figured what could we sell and digital goods came up. And so we realized that people were buying these cyber cafes were selling prepaid reloads using terminals. So I say, yeah. you don't need physical cards. You could buy through our system using those points. Mm. And that kind of took off, but it's still a very like, because everybody sells prepaid reloads, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, about that time as well, um, Tan Sri Vincent Tan of the Bajaya Group actually invested in the business. So um, he invested 2 million ringgit for 60% in the business. And then, uh, and, and he had DG, so we could sell DG reload coupons. We had the cyber reload thing where you could actually key in your mobile phone and it'll transfer to us. And then we, and we also looked at 7-Eleven as well, how we could power 7-Eleven, which he owned. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was, um, I walked into a cyber cafe in Subang one day and I realized that there was this game that was extremely popular. It was a Korean game called Hellbreath. Right? And we realized people were playing this game for free. And this game was about to charge 10 US dollars per month mm-hmm. for using the game. So I said, hey, this may be a good idea for us to kind of capitalize on, right? So I flew to Korea. I talked to the guy who, who basically... Um, who basically published the game and managed to convince him to give me the exclusive rights for Southeast Asia of this game. So if people wanted to pay for this game, they now had to use ML points. And that's when the traction really started picking up, right? So I remember the first day we started collecting payments for for Hellbreath, our servers went down. (laughs) Just too much load, right? Yeah. 
And then from there we grew and uh, and uh, we we then signed up more games. This time we didn't need exclusive rights. We just started collecting payments for all the games out there, mm-hmm. right? And when we did that, that's when we really started to to grow, right? And, and as that happened, as, as the growth uh, kind of came in, um, um, as the growth kind of came in, um, um, yeah, at one point, then we we kind of started started expanding and and signing up more games, enabling Seven Eleven to really sell ML points as well. So we had reload coupons in Seven Eleven through our terminals. And uh, about two thousand eight, two thousand nine, we were kind of the biggest players in Malaysia at that time. Mm-hmm. 80 percent of online game payments in Malaysia went through us. The balance of physical prepaid cards, mm-hmm. right? So, so, um, so what happened was, uh, was uh, Yahoo at that time was looking at monetizing the region. So, in two thousand eight, we had two hundred thousand users, a small amount in today's context, but a big amount at that time, right? Two hundred thousand users, five percent of each spend fifty dollars a month, two hundred ringgit a month. It was quite big, right? So, Yahoo had two hundred million audience in Malaysia. Only one uh, 200 million audience in Southeast Asia, only 1%. If, if 1% of that could spend $10 a month, that would be good monetization for them, right? Mm-hmm. So they they came about and they, they started talking to us and seeing whether they could do a deal with us. And uh, we looked at it. Unfortunately, we couldn't kind of come to, to any arrangement. And then uh, and then I went around looking for other internet websites that were as big as Yahoo. Mm-hmm. Right. And at that time, Yahoo was 121212 with another big website. It was actually a social network and it's not Facebook. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm assuming that it was either MySpace or Friendster. Yeah, it was Friendster. So I sent an email to Kleiner, which actually owned, uh, which actually was the largest investor in in uh, in uh, Friendster at the time. Yeah. And said, From Asia, we've got monetization, we've got physical channels to collect payments. We've got games. Uh, we'll be interested to see how we could do a commercial deal, a partnership, or even an acquisition. Mm-hmm. Like my mail, you think what's this Malaysian guy thinking? They can buy a Silicon Valley company. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and, uh, and I think Malaysia's presence in the valley really started when finders when 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 the government invested in finders startups and Kylie getting involved. That was post 20, 2011, 2012, maybe right? Yeah, yeah. 2008, 2009, Malaysia was practically non-present in the valley, mm. right? And so, um, so, 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 I didn't get a reply to the email. Then IDG Ventures in 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 uh, in uh, based in uh, Vietnam actually invested in Friendster because they they were actually having a Southeast Asian presence. Mm. Talking to them, they hired an Australian CEO. Um, and then uh, I started talking to the Australian CEO and they finally entered into a partnership with us to use our payments and games for their platform. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere around that time, I think it was 2009, um, the board members of Friendster, most of which were from the Valley, flew to Manila, right? They took a ride from the airport of, of because m- almost half of Friendster's users were actually in Manila, right? Oh, wow. so they- a taxi ride from from the airport to to the to the city, and uh, and they saw all the poor people. I, I actually haven't been to Manila for a long time, but at that time you take that taxi ride, you see a lot of poor people on the streets, right? Mm. Right, and so they say we're never going to make money from this region, and so they decided to to sell the company and they appointed a banker to to sell it, 
and we were one of the bidders and we ended up manage, managing to acquire the business. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, at the same time, so we, we, we saw a few assets in that, the community, obviously, the, the 100 million members that they had at that time, um, the registered members, uh, the, the uh, brand, of course, right? So by acquiring a Silicon Valley brand, it puts us right out there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Did you, did you have to go get new financing for that? Or did you do like an LBO or how, how did you, how did you manage the, the ability in order to like buy out your, those Silicon Valley VCs? Perhaps that you have a, you have a, you have a billionaire partner at that time. Ah. So okay. we, we actually went to some banks and, and we managed to get some bank loans to do mm. the acquisition. Uh, and then, um, and then uh, what happened was, um, yeah, so banks financed it. Uh, Vincent also put in some of his money. He did a new round that he invested in because we needed to do the deal quickly. Mm -hmm. So part financed by banks and part was, was new, fresh capital coming into the company. And then, uh, and then what happened was uh, we, um, we, um, we, uh, we then, uh, we then, um, yeah, so we then, we then, and we also saw value in the patents of the company. We knew that there were people, other people that wanted the patents. And six months after we acquired the business, we actually got an email from another social network. I'm not going to say which one. They actually wanted to buy the patents, right? Okay. So we ended up doing a deal with that social network. Remember, our core business was payments. Mm. We actually sold the patents, got some shares in that social network that IPO'd one, two years later. Uh, I should have kept those shares till today. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot richer person today. I, uh, I can only think of one social media network that I PO'd. It's still around today, right? Yeah, and, that's still around today. Yeah, so we don't we don't need to name names, but I think everybody can kind of lead into it. And then we had twenty million dollars of advertising on a social network, right? That we could use to advertise. So we could get now that social networks community, and we also had Francis community, right? Yeah. So we, and the end, we became the payment partner of that social network, right? So okay deal and because of that our member base grew from the 200,000 to like a couple of million within like a year or two sure sure okay grew from just a Malaysian company to a Southeast Asian company and by the time we actually IPO'd the company the NASDAQ 25% of emerging market game payment volume actually went through our network okay wow and that was that was during the time period when so when games via social media was really exploding right I talked to, to Friendster in 2008 about launching games on social media before there was Zynga, right? Yeah. <laughs> Zynga in 2010 was the hottest thing, right? So yeah. they to me, Friendster may be the Facebook today. There but you go. By the time I acquired it, it was too late, but, but we, we, we made a good return on that investment. Mm. And then, uh, so so that 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 did pretty well. And then, uh, and then we IPO on Nasdaq. I had some health issues about that time, and okay. I advice for the IPO. So because of my health issues after the whole IPO, I kind of stepped down as CEO of the company, but remained as chairman. Okay. All the shares until uh, uh, MOL Global was acquired by Razor in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Okay. Did you did you go ring the bell and everything? Were you did you do the whole like uh, trip that you always see on TV? If you actually, I should have done this, uh, this call in my office, uh, in my home office. I actually have a picture of the NASDAQ with MOL in the background and <laughs> MOL in the background and whatnot. I still have that, yeah. that in my office. Yeah. 
were you were you the first Malaysian company on Nasdaq, or was there another one before you? Malaysian company to be listed on the Nasdaq, and the first Saudi Asian internet company to be listed on the Nasdaq. Wow, really, really kind of setting the just setting the trend that would end up following yeah. over the years. Yeah, um, the IPO was not successful on day one, just like Grab, right? Okay. Day one, we were valued at, I think we listed at $12 or something. And day one, it was $8. So in the morning, I was worth $80 million. And in the <laughs> dollars something yeah. like that. Yeah, and you're, you you have a lockup. So no matter what it's priced at, it doesn't really matter. It matters what the share price is when the lockup's done, yeah? Yeah, that's right, right? So it's just like Grab, right? So Grab listed at $10, $12, and now it's $2, $3. I had the same experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so which is why now, you know, when specs are the thing and whatnot, I, I kind of still have um, doubts on the U.S. market mm. for one or two reasons. One is the U.S. market may give you a higher valuation initially, but gravity there is very strong, right? So if you can't deliver in your numbers and you're actually putting a high valuation, you may list at a high valuation, but gravity will pull you down to a, a real valuation. Yeah, yeah. I think the last couple of years of the tech market have definitely proven that. <laughs> the problem is when gravity pulls you down quickly and it goes down too quickly, you hit the ground and you can go lower. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. There's 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 not really like the bounce effect where you come back uh, and revert back to the mean so easily, and a lot of that downward pull. If you have other sources of capital, a lot of things can end up being kind of dragged down and create a spiral. Yeah, yeah. So it it, it does come up, but it takes a long time, right? Mm. And you got which you can see today from Grab and all, and other Nasdaq companies, right? Those that are overvalued. Uh, I mean, uh, those that were overvalued today are are hitting the ground hard, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. And um, but and you know they they if you ask me some of these companies are really undervalued today, right? Mm. No, I, I I agree. I think there's a lot of intrinsic value. The question is how long is it going to take them to start bouncing back to 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 where they ought to be? That's right. So one of the last companies that I looked at uh, that I invested in while in MOL. So we in game payments, mm-hmm. right? To social payments, you know, with the deals with Friendster and and. The world's largest social network, and then I saw potential in uh, in uh, in uh, e-commerce payment because I thought logistic infrastructure was improving. This was ten years after I started sure. ML points, and so I started a new product called ML Pay, mm-hmm. where people pay cash in places like Seven Eleven for their online transactions. Quite mm-hmm. so a small business in uh, based in Klang. We paid like, something like two million ringgit for fifty-one or sixty percent stake in the business. And link them to 7-Eleven so people could pay cash in uh, 7-Eleven for their online transactions, right? And that that product was called MLP. Today, it's called Razor Fintech or Razor Merchant Services, right? Mm -hmm. When I invested, it had a volume of maybe 30 million ringgit a year. Uh, Now, it's doing, I think, 4 billion US, 16 billion, 20 billion US. It's the largest payment gateway today, I believe, in Malaysia, right? So, Wait, so, I, so 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 let, let me let me let me make sure that I got this straight in my head. The MOL pay was something that you invested in an existing company, took fifty one percent of it, put it under the MOL brand, yes. and then Razor, when they acri- acquired you, they took it over, and now it's Razor Merchant uh, Services, yeah. Right. And so all of those like Shopee, Lazada purchases, people yeah. that people are in that don't have a bank account or whatever, they're heading to the Seven Eleven and 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 yeah. paying it there. 
Yep. But actually, we, for Shopee, for Razor Merchant Services, now, I believe they're handling all of all of Shopee's and Lazada payments. Okay. So they're not only handling the 7-Eleven, but the online banking, and I believe also credit cards, right? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. The facto payment gateway today, right? And so I saw the potential in, in payments. I'm sorry, I saw the potential in e-commerce as I was leaving MOL. And then I looked at Shopify. I like the Shopify model, um, the, the SaaS Shopify model. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was starting to earn a percentage of revenue. Mm. So what happened was I actually started... Um, I actually started. Uh, um, I actually started. Uh, 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 yeah, so I actually looked at building a Shopify in Malaysia, okay. and, and uh, I uh, and uh, I actually bought some shares in Shopify at twenty five dollars hmm. before the current split, right? Um, so so twenty five dollars, I sold it at fifty, then it went up to thousand five hundred or something. Right, and so I want to build a Shopify in Malaysia. So I said, look, building it on a on on a, on your own will take too too much time. And so I looked at a, a investing or acquiring e-commerce enablers. Mm. Right, I saw a company called Site Giant in Penang. Yep. Um, that that had a thousand merchants, maybe a couple of million ringgit revenue. Actually, one million ringgit revenue at the time. Break even. Invested in it today. It's grown ten times. GMB of five billion dollars right now. Right. And so I invested in that company and then I invested in a warehouse platform. I invested in a print-on-demand platform. And then I invested in a rural social commerce platform because I realized that commerce in Malaysia, you have urban commerce, you and I buy based on brands through marketplaces. And then you have rural commerce, people buy based on celebrities like Siti Nohaliza was one of our clients, Mm -hmm. agents, right? And, And then I venture built a business to help all these brands sell online. Okay. Okay. And that that's the that's the what today is the entity commerce.asia, yeah? Yes. So I parked all of that under commerce.asia. And today I've got six, seven subsidies. So some of these investments, um, we, we have increased our stake. So they're basically uh, we've turned investments into acquisitions, basically. Okay. And so so the pathway on those was like you're doing a minority investment as as kind of like a early angel seed, whatever. Yeah, uh, and then if it takes off, you try and acquire a uh, controlling stake. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, we don't we don't try to acquire. So it's early stage strategic investment, right? Mm. Kind of early stage PE. So okay. we get a thirty percent stake, so that we can at least equity account in profit. Mm. And then you realize some of these founders they perform quite well, they become profitable, and they don't mind having some cash in the bank, mm. right? And and uh, to to be comfortable, right? And they don't want to be venture back. So, you know, when, when you venture back, you you basically, you're your VC, but you're kind of a, <laughs> some of the harder VCs, you know, yeah. they, they push you a bit harder, et cetera, right? Yeah, yeah. I I've, I've, I try and be a nice guy, but I do push a little bit. I mean, there's there's an expectation. We've we, Everybody has somebody to answer to. Yeah, so um, so 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 in this case, um, what happens then is we we kind of, Get, acquire a bit more shares from the founder if they want us to and when they get comfortable with us we realize that we're not we don't want to to invest more in the company or we don't acquire the business to to interfere with them but just more for financial reasons you you, you get what i mean yeah 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 then we can package it all to do an ipo and all of us can throw share swap into a parent company then all of us be happy right okay and, 
And I think in Malaysia, because the market is so small, it's very difficult for an independent company to become big enough for an IPO. Mm-hmm. But if you combine four or five businesses together, right, that, that, are, that, are, that are profitable under one group, then that group can, can IPO, right? Yeah. So, so in that way, everybody gets liquidity. And the found, I'm actually more hands-off than a VC per se, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've got 20 different businesses uh, to, look, to look after. Um, so I'm more hands-off than a VC. Uh, um, yeah, although, although I, I help, help the companies on strategy and whatnot, right? Okay, okay. So it's a bit of a parallel path, I would say, to a venture back path. Yeah. You know, venture back paths, basically what, what they do is, uh, and, and you know this very well, mm. they, they, they push the founders, right? And then, and then they have to get access in five, six, seven years, right? Yep. But for us, we invest, uh, we, we try to guide the founders, we try to carry them along rather than mm-hmm. push. You, you see what I mean? Of course, sometimes, as you know, you do need a bit of a, a push, right? But our, our, our motto is more to carry them along. So I have offsides where I invite all the companies together so we can learn from each other. I get EO entrepreneurs or EO trainers to come and train them, right? So it's more of a hand-holding together as, as a group rather than a push as an investor, right? Okay, okay. What happens is rather than us pushing the company for an exit, we provide the company with the exit. An exit. I gotcha, I gotcha. So for, for, for any founders that could potentially be listening, listening, what is it that you look for? You know, So you, you have this portfolio of companies that, you, that you've gotten into. Yeah. What is it that you look for? What gets you excited? What gets you interested? Everything I do is strategic. Mm. Nothing I do is independent of everything else I do. Mm. Right? So for commerce.asia, everything I did was within the commerce ecosystem, brand-facing, merchant-facing, because I've got experience in that, right? Yep. Right? So everything I do, you can see, is interlinked to each other. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's a site giant, the logistics, the warehouse, all of these different enablers, yeah? Merchants can use logistics. Now we also have our own payment gateway, commerce pay, so that all of site giant merchants, BZ merchants can use our payment gateway, for example, right? So everything I do is uh, is strategic with each other. Then we venture build a business, as I mentioned earlier, called Enterprise, that help brands sell online. Mm-hmm. And with that, we realized that growth was important and influencers could help brands sell online. Okay. Right. So when I did that, I, I looked around for influencer marketing companies that I could invest in or acquire. I actually looked at a few. And then I realized there was a listed company on the ASX. They had two founders that, that were kind of having a public fallout. Okay. Because of that, the share price was undervalued. I feel that 20 cents, the share price was trading at half a cent or something. Where I started oh, wow. So I started collecting at half a cent. Uh, and then I negotiated with the two founders to buy them out at one and a half cents. The company had $3 million in the bank. Um, I paid $3 million for 84% of the company um, to, to support the founders, right? And he had yeah. made $20 million ringgit of revenue at that time, $7 million. Mm. Today, it's a $11, $12 million company. The share price now is $0.6, $0.07. Cents. At one point, it was $0.15 cents during the pandemic. Sure. Right? Um, yeah, and now what we're doing is... Uh, Kind of digitizing that business because it's an influencer marketing business that historically in Malaysia is very manual. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's where we are. we're launching two mobile apps now. Uh, we're rebranding NetCentric to become Example Group. Mm-hmm. Decentralized world, um, 
the word net centric is is not relevant anymore right yeah yeah the the net and the centric is no longer uh combining to be relevant for the modern era yeah we looked around for dot coms that were suitable we we hired a branding agency we end up with the name example hmm. right and why example is basically because um we influencers are communities every influencer has a community right their community of followers and so we're putting all these influencers together in a mobile app and so we call it assemble or assembling communities if that makes sense yeah so the name coming group coming name is example group limited mm-hmm. uh, tagline is assembling communities we've got a mascot called xb which is kind of cute um and then we've got an example creator app where influencers can actually we pay out actually 6 billion ringgit to influencers in malaysia a year mm-hmm. so example creator app what basically happens is the creators basically can can kind of um, can kind of uh, um um download the app and get paid now through the app so you don't get paid in the bank account directly but you see all your payments and your work done in the app uh, and then you can actually then get paid through the app and transfer it to your touch and go or your bank account so that makes sense Yeah yeah makes makes sense is it is it primarily focused on creators that are in Malaysia or does it have a regional or global footprint also Malaysia but we're coming up with a strategy to rolling that out this is just just a few months right then you can see campaigns and sure. and uh, you you can get campaigns and why we're in the best position to do this is because we already have brands right Unilever um KFC McDonald's our clients right mm. So we already have brands so we just put those brands on the app and we tell our influencers you want to get paid you use that so we'll have influencers and the brands in one place right okay then we have a community function that we're just rolling out we're actually officially launching this app end of this month when the when when we have our AGM and the name officially changes mm-hmm. a community function where you can actually communicate so for example if, if we influencers are lonely lo- a lonely batch right so you can actually communicate with other influencers through the app mm-hmm and you can collaborate on on community collaborate with each other through this app right okay and then, and then what we did was so that's a community of influencers then we realized hey influencers have a lot of followers right how can we also have reach to the followers so we launched a social wallet which is actually um nft wallet but we don't call it nft anymore <laughs> where 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 influencers can issue nfts to followers yeah and the the nfts actually are like a loyalty card for their followers uh-huh so present that loyalty card to get a discount at, at stores online stores the influencer earns a cut from that as well right yeah. you get to earn points and, and badges and what not lah right so it kind of tokenizes affiliate marketing right Sorry, that's right. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. How how do you see the rest of the integrations because there there's there's long been more and more talk around the the blurring of the line between e-commerce and social. Uh getting to the point where terms like social commerce all of that. Do you do you see that within Netcentric and commerce.asia that there's potential overlap uh, as as well to where um, the synergies between your endeavors? Yes, but there's a very there's a very I won't call it there's a line between the two groups. Anything marketing is with example group. Anything commerce mm. is with uh is with um commerce dot Asia. Okay. Areas where we collaborate, right? So live commerce, for example, where influencers sell products for commerce. We have a joint venture between the two companies called Example Live. Uh huh. Actually, there's live commerce on TikTok and Facebook Live. 
Yeah. If that makes sense. So in that in that instance, the fulfillment is handled. We're also investing in robotic warehousing now. The fulfillment is actually handled by uh, the fulfillment is actually handled by ex- example. Uh, sorry, the fulfillment is handled by Commerce.Asia. Mm-hmm. And the influences are provided by uh, example, basically. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. And Commerce Asia, just to hit on the geography on on that on that side as well, is is the majority of their activity inside of Malaysia, or is it also, uh, or is there is there any regional footprint as well? Now, to be honest, the group is maybe ninety percent in Malaysia. Okay. Um, yeah, we are looking at how we can make this more regional. Um, yeah, I've been actually, rightly or wrongly, I've been growing more wide in Malaysia, whereas uh, in MOL as well, I was going more regional, right? Yeah. So, um, but I do believe having a strength within one vertical in a country does have its value. Yeah. And so that if somebody wants a presence here that they could they could get and they've got like the whole ecosystem, they can just come in and partner with us, right? Right, because essentially you can create an end-to-end uh, solution. Yes, yes, yes. Mm, okay. So moving forward, we'll, we'll have to see what we do. We, we we could either merge the companies or we could IPO Commerce.Asia or there could be people there. There are companies actually out of Japan or whatnot that are actually within the same industry that are actually doing everything we're doing in one company, right? Mm-hmm. Doing what example is doing and doing what commerce.asia is doing, which is already wide enough in two companies within one company, right? Right, right. Some, some, there's definitely some synergies there. Uh, I guess what we're focusing on is building the business first and building traction, and then seeing where, where the opportunity is for, for, for extracting value at later. Okay. Okay. So you you have the ASX listed at Centric, and the is is the is the the objective is to take Commerce.Asia and ultimately list as well, so that those uh, subsidiaries, the ones where you have uh, uh, investment stakes in, potentially could roll up and provide those founders with exits. Yeah. Look, some founders may want their own independence and may want their own exits. We will support sure. for it, right? Some may. Get VC investments, etc., will support them for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them may not have their own exit. They may want to roll up and we'll give them the opportunity to do so. Okay. Okay. So th- thinking thinking on these 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 aspects, I mean, because you've been ahead of the curve through your career when it comes to these spaces, what do you see? looking forward what gets you excited when you think about the next five years um oh i mean there, there are a lot of new stuff that, that that's coming in that are enablers to whatever we do you see commerce and influencer marketing are industries right mm-hmm. enablers that are coming up i think the future is the enablers that help these industries right mm. of course we are the the hot topic now is generative ai how can generative mm-hmm. I support these two industries. That that's something quite interesting. And then another area, of course, is uh, I'm I'm still excited about Web three. Um, in fact, I invested in Web three towards the tail end of the hype. I think there's still a lot of potential in blockchain as a technology without the ICOs. Sure, sure. Yeah, there were. The, I mean, the 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 bubble there was just clearing out a lot of the garbage. But I I agree that the foundational aspects and and the potential out of it. I do sit in the camp of believing that there's use cases and business opportunities still. 
Yeah, like our social wallet, right? So those membership cards or loyalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what we're creating is we're actually allowing influencers to have direct access to their followers mm. through the blockchain, right? Now, what this means is if the influencer wants to send messages or later wants to do live or videos with their followers, they can do it off Facebook. Mm-hmm. I hope nobody from Facebook is listening to this, right? <laughs> Basically, they own their followers, right? Mm. Can now do campaigns where they basically can then take discounts to merchants, etc. Those are practical aspects. By the same time, now they own their followers directly. Hmm. They our tech, but it's actually on the blockchain. So if tomorrow they don't want to use our tech, they can build their own app and also have a direct access to your followers, right? Hmm. Right. So that's where we see the the, the potential of, of the blockchain is really kind of disintermediating the the giants in the room, lah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're 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 looking at generative AI. Do you see it as a threat to the influencer side? Because uh, you know, there's there's a lot of chatter around can can generative AI create an influencer? Essentially, like we've already started seeing like newscasters. We've started seeing like visuals of like completely created individuals talking, interacting. I'm sure there is, but you know, human to human interaction, to human uh, interactivity will still exist, right? Yeah, yeah. Influencer, because there are only so many things a robot can do, right? Yeah, yeah. The robot today still doesn't have that emotional uh, connection. I'll beat their virtual girlfriends out there. I know, but um, mm. I, I I think chatting to virtual girlfriend is different from than chatting to a real girlfriend. Like, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Most, 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 most certainly. Well, I, I do, th- I do think that it may end up enabling influencers to try to try and mimic personal relationships with some of some more of their audience at scale, to where they can get into the DMs, even though people know that it's not the individual may may know. Uh, yeah. It can look and feel like it's a personalized inter interaction potentially. Yeah. Um, Okay, and then and then we have we have uh, blockchain technology that can start dis- disintermediating, providing some additional opportunities to enable smaller players and other players into it. Yeah, I do think that generative AI will make the job of uh, of uh, an influencer maybe a bit easier. So, post, for example, could be automated. That's something we are looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, one of your investors we're looking at it for a while. Um, <laughs> I've I've got a couple that I can that I can push your way to look at. Don't you worry. So so I do I do believe that there's some opportunity there which we're looking at. Yeah. In fact, the app will have some some small features of that, and over time we'll add. The the important part to me is we have our community. Then AI and generative AI and blockchain is just the enabler for it, right? Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so t- taking that context, take, taking in uh, that context, I, I assume a lot of this is going to be driving where you're looking at for potential new investments under the, the either umbrella of the marketing side or the enabler side. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, right now, I'm quite selective on, on, on investments at this point because mm. we already got like 20 different businesses to kind of oversee. So I'll look for very strategic investments um, that that kind of uh, can can help. The, that I'm looking for investments that can help the overall value of the group. You okay. see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something something that fits with with within. 
Yeah, but it's not something that I, I actively need. Like if you asked me five years ago when I started this group, I'm building an ecosystem. I need an influencer marketing business. I need a commerce business. I need mm. a task business. I'm looking at social commerce. But today the groups are already quite mature. Yeah. So focus on consolidation and, and growth and and uh, kind of yeah, we may look at some regional businesses that we, we could do MA on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but but I I'm I'm uh I've already got my, my hands full, to be honest. And so uh, I'm less invested. Maybe we may be a bit acquisitive, but less invested per se, uh, if you know what I mean. Not because I don't like to invest or not because I don't like to invest. I love to invest. It's just that I don't have enough time to kind of monitor the investments after after we invest, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I do. I do. Okay. 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 Very, 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 very interesting. This is, this has been a super interesting conversation as we kind of navigate in, uh, from, from the early days to where you are. Something really exciting. Then we'll, we'll of course always look at it. Okay. Okay. Really add value to the group is very strong value add to the group then it's something that, that can be something that you look at there's 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 always there's there's always a, 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 something set aside for for solid opportunities i i, I imagine that's that's a similar case with you but my um, never never believes me when i tell her that i'm not looking at buying any more companies this year she doesn't trust me that <laughs> yeah very cool. Let, let, let me wrap up here. This is, this has been super interesting, but let me wrap up with the final questions that I ask everyone. Uh, for for you, what is the most important tech tool that you use in your daily work or personal life that you just couldn't live without? Microsoft to do. Okay. Uh, get it, making sure that you're getting those to do lists down and and staying on top of your workload. Yeah. Yeah, can't 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 uh, can't echo my agreement with that enough. Uh, last one: If you were to talk to another startup founder that is just getting going, what would be the biggest piece of advice that you could offer? Yeah, I think um one of the challenges I see with a lot of startup founders today is most of them were born as a entrepreneur mm. in a low interest rate environment. Right, and, and today we are going to a very high interest rate environment, which is a very different environment, right? Yeah. yeah. So low interest rate environment, money comes cheap, and so it's all about growth, right? And today, mm-hmm. it's about profitability, and I've I've been through both both type environment environments, which is why even in a low interest rate environment, maybe I was a bit over cautious, but now it's time when you really have to be cautious, right? So I think that the days of free money where you can spend money without, for growth without looking at profitability are over. It'll be a long time before those times come back, right? So yeah, yeah. I, th- I think a lot of that is showing in, the, in some of the public markets where some of the companies that IPO'd fall into that bucket where they just are never really hit profitability. Uh, and yet massive multiples on their, on their valuation. Yeah, the issue really is whatever's happening, the public markets will hit the private markets as well. Yeah, it 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 trickles down because ultimately that's your goal for an exit for a lot of the later stage companies. So the the impact is a little bit less in the early because the impact starts dwindling down, less of the rainwater comes down to the surface, sort of thing through the trees. And, uh, but it, and as a VC, I'm sure you know this as well. When you look at investments, you look at comparables, right? Yeah. Listed companies comparing on, and when listed companies are down seventy percent, eighty percent, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you look at the pathway. What's 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 my what's my next step? Is it another funding round? Is it an exit? And yeah. what is that valuation potential there? If everything has fallen down, then my numbers start falling down as well. That's right. Yeah. So very wise advice. The days of easy money are over. Profitability is and should have always been king. That's right. Yeah. Excellent. Ganesh, thank you. Thank you very much. This has been uh, this has been an awesome conversation. Lots of insights from one of the originals out of Malaysia. Thanks, Kevin. All right, that wraps it up for another fantastic episode of The Sea of Startups. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Go on to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It's the best way for us to get discovered and to have these startup stories reach a broader audience. If you have any suggestions or would like to get in touch, you can email me at kevin at indelible.vc. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Rockland from Indelible Ventures, and this is The Sea of Startups.